Welcome to the Impact Investing Podcast from Circa 5000. I'm Matt Latham. And I'm Tommy Gillicuddy. Remember, nothing in this podcast is financial advice, and when investing, your capital is at risk. Enjoy the episode. Hi, everyone. We're back with episode 24 of the Impact Investing Podcast. Good morning, Tom. Good morning, Matthew. How are you? Not too bad. Not too bad. Uh, we've turned up this week, prepared as always. Very overprepared, if anything. <laughs> and I think we're not too sure. <laughs> I think we're going to try and talk a little bit about um, sort of markets and, and where we've ended up so far yeah. as we get in this year, as we get towards the end of 2022. A brief look back on what happened because literally it was almost the last day of last year that was the peak. Mm. And then, uh, you know, it's been a rocky ride since then. Um but before we get started, Tom, any any news to share this week? Any? I think uh, the only positive, not the only positive, the main positive I would highlight is we are still flying high in the Ugandan podcast charts. Um, so thank you very much for our for our fans, our growing loyal fan base in Uganda. A sentence I wasn't sure I'd ever say when we started this podcast, but we appreciate it. Thank you. The details of the live episode in Uganda to follow shortly. I'd love to go. Um, so. I mean, as always, whether you're in Uganda or not, it would be great to, um, if you could share the podcast, leave us a review, five stars, yep. and um, yeah, do get in touch if you have any questions or requests um, for future episodes. Podcast and the thing, thing to mention, I don't, I don't know whether the, all the growth is coming to I just interrupted you, uh, but I'll... Uh, I'm I'll, just about to say to you, pal. <laughs> podcast at circa5000.com. But we have had the biggest few weeks and month ever that we've had on on the pod. And so thank you to our listeners, not just in Uganda, but everywhere else. And uh, it really does help us uh, grow and share the word when you share it with your friends. Um, and so, yeah, thank you. Thank you for the support. So should we jump in? It's 2022. I mean, we'll probably do a, a bit more of a detailed review of yeah. what's gone on this year, but I think we've not covered sort of markets for a while. We talked a lot about politics. We talked about uh the autumn statement we talked about greenwashing all these things but yeah. i think it's good to tie some of these themes in with with what's actually been going on in the the real world and i think there's a good article in the ft that sums up what's gone on so far this year called a year of pain <laughs> yep <laughs> which um you know if you think back we're recording this on the 1st of december um so if you think back a year ago 30th of november 2021 jay powell um who's uh you know, basically the central banker in, in the US, uh, said that he accepted that inflation might not be transitory. Yeah. Um, if you remember, when inflation first started to pick up as mm. we came out of lockdowns and, and the economy started to recover after COVID, there was a lot of talk about, yes, prices are rising, but it's because demand has just picked yeah. up and there's still some supply chain issues to work through. And this inflation will sort of wash itself through the system and it's not something to worry about. That obviously that theory is gone now. Yeah. Um, US inflation back then was six point eight percent. And the Fed said at that on that day that they'd consider wrapping up the taper of their asset purchases a few months sooner than planned. Yeah. Which seems like a non statement. Basically it means they'd stop putting money into the economy, they'd yep. stop supporting the economy. Almost, you know, signalling that maybe things were getting a bit hot and that inflation was maybe starting to run away. But that statement on that day basically signaled the end of the yeah. of the of the era of what we'd had which was really low interest rates money into the system cheap money flowing round and basically asset bubble yeah um so 
and then we went into uh then what what then f- put fuel on that fire was the Russian invasion of yeah. Ukraine Tom what I what I fully appreciated and so we were looking at this this FT article was how high inflation was already prior yeah. to the the Russia Ukraine situation now I remember it being higher and the conversations about whether it's transitory or not started to fade um but I hadn't fully appreciated how, how high it already was and when you look at when you look at inflation today and you strip out the effect of food prices and energy prices on yeah. that inflation, it's still much higher than than it would have been. That's what they call ordinary. core inflation. Core inflation, which is inflation excluding food and energy, and then you've got other inflation, so CPI or core CPI. If you look at it in the US, Eurozone, and uh, UK, it's still much higher than it would have been, um, uh, you know, prior. So it's it's a uh, the calls for it being transitory and all, all blamed on Russia-Ukraine are obviously not fully, fully true. Um, there's more inflation in the system, even in the absence of the Russia-Ukraine yeah. situation. But that has obviously had uh, a, a massive impact. And so whether or not there could have been a, a medium case, that kind of quickly uh, uh, disappeared because Russia-Ukraine and the disruption that caused for energy markets and, and food markets around the world. Yeah, and it's that, and, and that's the reason why central banks look more at this core inflation number yeah. because a lot of the energy price thing is obviously caused by Russia. But as you say, that underlying base of of, of like true, yeah. like more sticky inflation, if you like, is persisting. Yeah. It's not as if that was transitory and it's been overtaken by energy. Yeah. It's actually that it's actually that, that has persisted almost at the level it almost at the levels it was. Yeah. Um, and you know, most central banks have a target of inflation around two percent. Yeah. I mean we're running way above that. Yeah, we're running way above that. And all the and all the three major, you know, geographies that we just talked about there, US, uh, Eurozone, UK, we're above we're above five percent, six percent in each on core inflation. Yeah. So stripping out the effects of, of Russia Ukraine and, and energy markets and, and food markets, we're still way beyond the the, the target. And so it's it, so that's forced central banks and governments to act. Yeah. And in forcing them to act, it's led them to Right, uh, raise interest rates to try and combat inflation in some way. That's been bad for for bonds, for government bonds, for corporate bonds, fixed income instruments, um, and it's been bad for the general stock market as well because it's been the end of of cheap money, and that has produced a a uh, a tough year for both bonds and stocks overall. And a lot of central banks as well were easing in some way, as in they yeah. were they were either buying up assets or they were printing money, except you know, this, this, however you want to describe it. Yeah, but. That support, so there's been a double effect, basically. Yeah. They've been pumping interest rates up to try and combat mm. inflation. If you, and if you remember, the reason that that happens is if you make money more expensive yep. to borrow effectively, yep. then the idea is that less of it flows around the system and therefore you can quash demand and yep. you, can, you, can, you can bring prices down. But they've also taken out their buying power out the market. Yep. So they've also reduced the amount of money, if you like, that's yeah. flushing around. So it's had that double effect. And what it's led to is that 2022, so far, we've got a month left. There's normally a Santa rally at the end of the year, which is an actual <laughs> phenomenon in financial markets where around Christmas stocks historically generally have, have gone up. That remains to be seen. But 2022 has been bad for both stocks and shares and for bonds. Now, that is really interesting because the traditional model of how you build an, a diversified investment portfolio yeah. is that you hold riskier assets, generally stocks, and generally what are considered lower risk assets, bonds, Mm -hmm. in a proportion depending on how much risk you want to take. So if you're you're willing to be take a more risky point of view, if you like, or a more long-term view, I would say, you go for 
more stocks than bonds. And yeah. if you want to be a bit more cautious, you go for more bonds than stocks. And that's generally sort of accepted practice in and in the in building an investment portfolio. Since 1871, Tom, as you'll know well, just before I was born, <laughs> there's only three calendar years where. In the US, both stocks and bonds have had negative returns. Right. The idea is, is that if stocks have a bad year, offsets. your bonds yeah, yeah. have a good year. And if your bonds have a bad year, your stocks have a good year. That's the general you know, rule of thumb. Yeah. Those three years are 1941, where bonds were down about 3% and stocks were down about 10%. Yeah. 1969, where bonds were down about 6% and stocks were down about 10%. And twenty twenty two. The difference is, is this year bonds are down around seventeen percent, and stocks are down around twenty percent. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a double bad year. Mm-hmm. I mean, in terms of traditional portfolios, you you they've been they've been battered for yeah. one of a better phrase. There's a, there's a great chart that you shared with 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 uh, me and the team last night about uh, in the FT that kind of demonstrates just how bad this year is when you kind of take those bonds and, and stocks together in terms of both the returns being negative. To put some idea on the kind of the scale of of of, uh, of the sell-off that we're talking about, at its lowest point this year, the S&P 500 index, the, the biggest 500 listed companies in the US, had shared 11 trillion in market cap, in market cap. So it had been an 11 trillion price sell-off of, the, of those companies. To give an idea of scale, even though those figures are not directly comparable to these, but it's similar to the entire annual economic output of Germany, Japan, and Canada combined. And the drop in the value of US tech stocks alone is the equivalent to the GDP of the UK. Yeah. So a big, big I mean, sell-off. That's such a huge write-down in in value of, of yeah. US stocks um, and obviously dominated by those huge tech names that, yeah. you know, Meta, for example, uh, not to pick on anyone particularly, <laughs> but, you know, that, that that whole big tech space has taken a, a, a big hit yeah. um, in terms of, of, of valuation um, and their share price. So. Yeah, and it's, le- it's left like the only real, you know, positive asset class this year has been has been commodities. Um uh, the only asset class out of roughly 25 that's had a positive year is yeah. that. And that's that's kind of an asset class that's been helped by the disruption of what we've seen yeah. from Russia and Ukraine. So it's, it's not like a, a, a repeatable or even predictable level of success that they've had. It's been a, a, a you know a black swan disruption event that's caused the asset class to do well. Yeah, and I mean, and, and, and that doesn't mean that, that doesn't mean that every asset class has performed negatively. No. But what it does mean is that when you factor in inflation, yeah. because inflation is so high, Take cash, for example. Mm. If you're sat in cash and you ignored inflation, yeah. you've gone, well, I was getting no interest, and yeah. now I'm getting some interest, yeah, yeah, and yeah. therefore I'm making more money on that cash than I was last year. Yeah. However, yeah. if you look at it in what, in what you call real terms, i.e. when you factor in the net effect of inflation, you might be getting one and a half, maybe a bit more on cash if you're lucky. Yeah. But if you factor in inflation at 10%, yeah. inflation was virtually zero, but you were getting – zero percent return on your cash last year yeah now you're getting a bit more return on your cash but inflation's gone through the roof yeah and therefore your net return is is negative so that 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 stat about the 25 asset classes is one from legal and general and you know they're looking at they're looking across the board and saying well where do you go for real returns mm. there isn't really anywhere yeah. except for commodities yeah um so you know what 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 now for markets is yeah. that because Virtually every asset class that you would traditionally look to put money in as an investment manager is, has had a bad time. Yep. And the context should, is important here. They've had a good time up to now. A very, very good time in the past them, 10 plus years, exactly, really. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, all good things come to an end, as, yeah. as you say. Yeah. So, 
is that investment managers and investors generally are looking around now for signs of two things, basically. Is inflation mm. slowing down or coming down or calming down? Yeah. And, as, and, and if it is, does that mean that central banks can start to loosen up a bit and, and sort of take the foot off these interest rate rises and either slow the pace of the rate rises or stop them altogether, i.e. get to a terminal interest rate. Yep. And that is, the market is desperate for these signs to show that, you know, because that will basically call the bottom of the market. Yep. And then and then from there, things can start to to pick up again. Yeah. You've seen, you've seen moments of people thinking that was happening this yeah. year. Yeah. And they're called, there are instances in, in stock markets that are called bear market rallies, which is in a negative market. People thinking they've found the bottom or we found the bottom based on an economic indicator or some words from a central banker. And there's a little bit of a, of a rally in the market. It goes up a little bit. Um, and then, and then the more negative news comes out, and a, and a new, a new low point in the market's kind of formed. And we've seen that a couple of times this year, yeah, where people see, thought it was turning around, and it's not quite materialised. You see it when you maybe get, you know, a jobs number different to expected, yeah. or some macro data point comes out slightly different to expected, or you get some different, you know, earnings numbers come, have, you know, come out differently, and then the market sort of jumps on something, and and you get this. You know, markets operate not just on data, but they operate on psychology, and yeah. and you get this psychological effect where suddenly people start buying, and people don't want to miss the yeah. the run up again, and they start buying. So you've seen actually some of the biggest bear market rallies in history in this last year because yeah. you know markets have jumped up sometimes you know ten percent, but then they've fallen back again, yeah. and it's it's because inflation is being so persistent, mm. and these rate rises as a result have to stay around. Therefore, you know people can't quite put a pin in where they think this will yeah. end up. So And everyone's trying to I mean, what what you see in the data and and here's the no bear market in the last one hundred years has ended before the recession related to it has begun. We are in recession in the UK. Yeah. They're not officially in there in the in the in the in the US yet. People are people are thinking it will come in the early part of next year. And so likely the 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 recovery or the beginning of the recovery starts in and around that time and shortly after. Yeah, because you know, markets are you know, a, a leading indicator, basically. So, you, you know, if people think that the economy is going into recession, markets will go down before you're in yeah, recession. Yeah, yeah. And the recession doesn't necessarily have to be fully over before markets pick up exactly, thinking yeah. that things are going to get better. Yeah. You know, they sort of, they're, they're trying to predict the future all the time in, yeah. in, when you're buying uh, in markets. So, so uh, one bit of good news, I suppose, is JP Morgan have come out and said that the classic portfolio mix, which is a 60% stocks portfolio and a 40% bonds portfolio, now has the best outlook in a decade mm. um, and that the valuation froth has come out of risk assets. So this is a good point to rebuild portfolios for the longer term. Stay invested. It is always darkest before the dawn, Tom. Well, I'm glad because it does feel dark right now. <laughs> I mean, I suppose it's it's an obvious thing to say, really. If you've had the worst year, yeah, <laughs> then, <laughs> it can't get much worse. Then you sort of go, well, now things can only get better <laughs> but i think it's important the, the point thing that I, that, that I would i would take the point i would take from that is that actually if you're thinking long term staying invested wherever you've been invested this year you've probably not had a great time yeah um but if you're thinking long term now is not the time to sort of bail on that long term strategy that you've yeah. got yeah. it's to it's to think and stay the course and you've seen it throughout history where markets have had a bad year or bad time they're always followed up by a yeah. good time at some point, and yeah. that's just the way it works. And you know, your average return on 
US stocks over the long term is still double digits, if not very close to double digits, you yeah. know, 10% annualized. So it's never 10% consistently. It's, you know, it's ups yeah. and downs, but that that's where you've got to really think and stick to that long-term view. And there are some positive signs coming out yes. of the data now as well, isn't yeah. there? Yeah, especially in, uh, you can see positive signs in Eurozone. Eurozone inflation was lower than expected at 10% recently. Um, and so that's a positive sign that markets have reacted to well. Um, inflation is, is, is obviously still high. Um, uh, core inflation is but it's flat at, at 5%. And that's the inflation that excludes food and energy. energy. Um, and so there's some positive signs coming there. And then when you look at the US, which obviously is a huge dictator of how things go generally in um, global financial markets, um, the rising interest rates um, slowly and the markets are reacting positively to that. And so we're starting to see in the data, whether it's inflation or how central banks are looking to plan ahead, that we're approaching, wouldn't like to ever call the bottom, but we're approaching a period of time which which may uh, indicate that 2023 and beyond will start to look a little bit better for financial markets than where we've been this year. And I think that that is generally the feeling in financial markets that this quarter and the next quarter and then beyond that, we'll start to see the, the embers of a, of a recovery coming through. And that's what people are kind of predicting. Yeah. And I think it's important to say as well, like we obviously, and everyone does think in calendar years, Yeah, but you know, it doesn't, you shouldn't really measure this on a calendar year basis. You know, you yeah. shouldn't go 2021 good, 2022 bad, 2023 might start to get good again, yeah. you know, but I think if you just have to start to think of long-term and just that things move in cycles, I mean, to put that inflation uh, data into context, that's the first time in 17 months mm. that Eurozone inflation has gone downward um, rather than upward. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, the, the thing is now is people are saying that that might be the peak, might not be, but you know, we'll see. Should, should we introduce a uh, a, a, a apolitical hot potato? <laughs> is this is it just your, your, your perfect... My weekly Brexit rant. <laughs> no, I think we should do it. Trying to purely look at it from an economic point of view and, and, and nothing else. The FT, especially recently, have gone... They've gone quite big on talking about Brexit and the economy, um, and they they obviously did a uh, they did a thirty minute mini documentary on 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 YouTube, which is a, which is a good watch. Just interviewing businesses and looking at the impact it's been having. Um, and there's another big article in there today that that the, the hit that they determine has been substantially negative so far. Yeah, and you can look at the overall data, and you can even look at things that are anecdotal and. You and I in our business, we see we see Brexit impacting our business in a in a real way. Yeah. You can see things like for us as a consumer investing app in the UK, our ability to now launch in the EU is much much more difficult. We've way, got to get regulated now in the EU, versus before we could launch in any EU country in a day or two um, because of the passporting rules. Now we're obviously we've talked about in previous podcasts we're building our own uh, ETFs. The infrastructure and the intelligence to do that is in Dublin, in Ireland, and that's where we've built our, our ETFs. Um, and so they're built in the EU, but we now have to passport them back into the UK, which is a new regulatory regime. It's a six month pro- process. It's a lot more cost and it's a lot more time. And so that's just us as a business how it impacts yeah. us. More broadly, though, what I think what I think is what is more concerning, I would say, for 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 people in the UK is all we can see at the moment is these either whether it's in data, whether that's our GDP growth, GDP per capita, trade, etc. There's no positive that's come from Brexit on those yet. That's not to say that never will be, but I think that the 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 main negative for me is what is the plan to make it positive. I'm. I and I think everybody who who voted either remain or leave, we want to we want this to work in whatever way 
uh, it can, but there doesn't seem to be any coherent plan in making it work. And then you get presented with stuff from the FT, which shows that the UK is the only G7 economy that's still below its pre-pandemic size. So a lot of our our peer group have, have experienced this kind of bounce back effect from yeah. reopening. We haven't experienced that. We've got really low trade levels. Obviously, the currency is really depreciated. Um, our wage growth is much smaller than our peers. And actual business investment and foreign investment is lagging too. And so we've got this overhanging effect on our economy, which is we are exposed to everything that everyone else is exposed to. And we've got this new big exposure, which is Brexit, which is being of no benefit and is probably hurting us in a number of ways. And there needs to be a credible plan forward, which is completely lacking. I I can't really point to any statement, any set of policies that any uh, politician has come out with that shows what what we're going to do. I think it's telling that, you know, the autumn statement, Brexit was mentioned once in passing. You know, if it was this huge bonanza opportunity for this country, surely it would have been, here's the big long list of things that we are now able to do because of our newfound freedoms. And isn't this going to be happy days for everyone for the rest of life? You know, know, no one has said that. Everyone's just ignoring it, pretending it hasn't happened. And I think you've had... You've got two big things that have happened where you can almost mask the effect of it. Yes. You've had COVID yep. where every economy yeah, yeah, nosedived. Yep. And you've and you've now got this sort of period of really high inflation and rising interest rates globally where you can hide behind. But I think what we'll be telling is as the global economy improves, you know, and you see over, over the next however many years we come out of this in, and, and we come out of the recessions that we may or may not be in, in globally. Yeah. And economy starts to recover and market starts to recover how much does the uk lag its peer group and how far behind do we fall i mean andrew bailey bank of england governor we mentioned this on the on the autumn statement uh episode as well i think but he said there's a long run downshift in the level of productivity a bit over three percent most of which had already happened and we've not changed our view on that so far (laughs) and then you've got people like mark carney the former governor of the bank of england who said that In 2016, the British economy was 90% the size of Germany's. Mm. Now it's less than 70%. Yeah. So it's unarguable that the UK is is trailing. And it's unarguable that there's this inherent material effect of Brexit that's lingering in the background. Yeah. And right now, while there's been COVID and and this this sort of uh, recession environment, you can mask it and blame it on those other things. Yeah. But when they've gone away yeah. and, you know, you're exposed, what what's the excuse then? And yeah. as you say, if, if we're going to stick with it, we need to find a way of making it work. Or we, I think we have to sort of try and wind back from some of it. Yeah, exactly. Or, or you try and reestablish some kind of relationship with the with with our biggest trading partner, which is the EU, where we've done ourselves massive damage. That's well, not to say... What not about to, Australia? Well, this gets mentioned in the article, which is anybody who looks at the Australia deal that we've got, well, first of all, we already had an Australia deal because we were in the EU and they had a deal with the, with Australia, which was better than the deal that we've now got with Australia. Yeah. So this is one of the nonsense arguments that we think we can, on our own, as a smaller uh, a, a smaller economy, negotiate better deals than what the EU could negotiate yeah. themselves. I think they said that the up. Australia deal has added 0.08% to GDP. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure the striking nurses in the country will feel uh, comforted by uh, our Australian deal. Anyway, we could do a we could do a whole uh, days lo- days long rant about the, uh, the 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 Brexit situation. Should we try and finish on a high note? Absolutely, a, a high note for sustainable investment from this year. And so I think the a little bit of backdrop context for this is everyone who's been anti sustainable investing, impact investing, you know, whatever you want to call it, has always kind of predicted that 
when markets get tough that these uh, the funds that that we uh, that we invest in uh, the investing that we talk about they'll suffer the most into and people will flee from them and invest yeah. in all sorts of other areas and we've seen two instances now during our, our time of running this business where that hasn't been the case one was during one was during covid in the aftermath of covid and one has been this year so if you look at the data now according to morningstar um who compile this data, $130 billion has flowed into sustainable investment funds uh, by the end of September this year. Um, and that compares against $643 billion of net outflows from the broader market. So that's everything that's non, um, non-sustainable, non non-ESG investment funds. Um, European funds have attracted the bulk of that money and they've received 90% of the total inflows into these kinds of funds. And so th- I think it's a huge positive for this form of investing yeah. that even in tough markets, and these funds have not delivered amazing returns, but yeah. the investors that are investing this way are continuing to do so for long-term structural reasons, yeah. as opposed to doing the short-term uh, trading, short-term switching funds move um, that we've seen this year with people diverting funds to oil companies and commodities companies. The the, the sustainable and impact investor base is increasing every single year, even in tough market conditions. And I think that's a nod to their long-term view that this is the right place to invest. Yeah, as you say, this is not people chasing returns. Yeah. This is this is people positioning into funds that they intend to hold for the long term. Yeah. And I think what's even more interesting is there's this thing called the EU Sustainable Finance Disclosure Regulation, which I know you snappy. find fascinating. Snappy, top. snappy But um, basically what it is, is it's a badge that you put on funds depending on how green they are mm. very roughly so of of and the the highest badge you can have on that is something called an article nine yeah below that is something called article eight which is sort of a light green and then below that sort of you know the lower numbers but what's interesting is that the article nine funds i.e the greenest labeled funds had the biggest net inflows mm. then followed by the article eight but then if you go down to article six they they were even they'd had net outflows. Yeah. So what what that's basically saying is that if you if you bucket all the funds depending on how sustainable they are, the most sustainable funds have had the biggest inflows. Yeah. So, you know, it's an even more you know, it's even more evidence to say that, you know, if you're gonna position for the long term, it's to take that, you know, there's a lot of people positioning in those very, very green funds because yeah. that's where they see the best long term potential potentially yeah. <laughs> um yeah you know and and i think it's important for us to say that you know these we're talking about esg here and yeah it's a broad category you know but i think it's a sort of as a proxy for yeah how sustainably minded investors are thinking during this time yes. i think it's a great sort of thing to point to yeah i think so and i think if we were if to summarize kind of what we've talked about in this in this whole episode i think it would just come back down to something that we've not mentioned for a for a, a few a few episodes is the four investment principles that we yeah. always abide by yeah. which is to stay long term invest for the super long term years as many years as you can don't overfocus on the short term stay diversified that means in different companies different sectors and globally don't let one economy or one sector dictate how your portfolio does keep investing regularly so even when times are dark like they are now, stay invested and keep going and position your portfolio for, for, the, for the genuine long-term. And that means impact investing in the sectors of the future. Um, and I think even when times are dark, if you keep doing those four things, you'll put yourself in a, in a good position for long-term uh, financial returns. Yeah, good way to end. Thank you, everyone. Are you uh, going to turn up next week, Tom? Uh, uh, TBD. Maybe see you next week then. See you next week. <laughs>
Thank you for listening to Impact Investing, a podcast brought to you by Circa 5000. Remember, when investing, your capital is at risk, and this podcast is not financial advice. If you like what you hear, then please remember to like, subscribe, and share the podcast.